0: Our reading is Psalm 33 today, Um, the words will be up on the screen and if you're following a blue church Bible there's a uh, marker in there for you. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous, it is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp, make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre, sing to him a new song, play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord, Let all the people of the world revere him, for he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth, he who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you.
1: What a magnificent psalm this is. Uh, Friends, I'm just going to pray for us before we dive into thinking about it and uh, applying it to our lives. So um, let's pray. Our great God and heavenly Father. uh, Father, we pray that this morning as we hear this word to us, that you might take these words and write them on our hearts, that by your Spirit that you... uh, Please, Father... uh, plant these words in our hearts, that we might not only know them in our heads, but we might believe them truly and deeply, and that they might transform our lives, so that we might wait patiently and joyfully for you, our great God and our heavenly Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, you might be, some of you might know this character who's going to come up on the screen in a moment. It's uh, the Roman Emperor Caligula. Now, Culegula was around in the first century, around between 37 and 41 AD. Uh, this guy was a, 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 you know, he's a bit of a... Well, we'll see. He's a bit of a character. Uh, he believed he, was, he believed he was divine, or at least that's what he said, and he wanted everyone else to believe. And he believed he had absolute power, right, this guy? He's famous for stories of totally crazy and ruthless stuff he did. Some sources tell of his favourite horse. Next slide will show a bit of a drawing of this horse. Uh, his his favourite horse was named, uh, let, me, let me get this right, Inquitatus. He loved his horse so much that he in- attempted to instate it as one of his priests and his consul. Uh, it's even said that he even built Inquitatus, an incredibly ornate stable made out of marble with couches and chairs on which, of course... Inquitatus never sat. <laughs> uh, there's more sinister stories, though, of this guy Caligula. Once at the circus, so the kind of games of the time, uh, the, the games ran out of criminals, right? The criminals were the guys who'd get sort of killed by the gladiators or whatever or eaten, eaten up. The games ran out of them. And the next event was the lions. So the story's told, uh, Caligula loved this, this show, The Lions, the story is told he ordered the guards... To drag the first few rows in the, of people uh, who were watching the games, just drag them onto the arena, uh, and uh, which they did. The guys sort of, you know, they just dragged them on, and hundreds of people were devoured by the starved lions simply for Caligula's amusement. And there were more stories: cold-blooded murder, brutal treatment of family members, incest, sexual immorality. Like the, the guy was just a bit of a nutcase. And he's become one of the arch- archetypical, you know, he's kind of become a bit of an archetype uh, for the old saying. You, you know the saying, uh, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. <laughs> power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. We don't have to look too far to see that there's something to that saying, don't, do not we? Like there's, there's something, it's getting at something significant. We're all too aware of the abuse of power, whether it's through political systems or institutions or workplaces or families, if we're kind of honest, even in our own hearts. Um, The evidence is pretty clear, isn't it? That power, having some sort of power, uh, particularly over other people, uh, tends to lead towards corruption. And the thought of having absolute power well, it's a bit of a scary thought. I mean, uh, uh, Caligula's kind of a case study for that. Friends, we're reading this psalm, Psalm 33. It's a magnificent psalm. And it speaks of someone with unimaginable power, infinite power, truly absolute power. And it's a sort of power in this psalm that puts every other power to shame. All our you know, all our human jostling and self-promotion and all the games we play, the power plays that we busy ourselves with—they're nothing compared to this power. This power. But friends, you see here in this um, this critical difference: uh, the more power we humans have, the more open we seem to be to corruption the more self-seeking that we can seem to become. But the one who wields the, this power in Psalm 33, this, this one has absolutely no corruption. He, he kind of unleashes his power, not in the, the selfish abuse of others, not in putting other people down, but as, as we'll read through, but in faithfulness, in justice, in unfailing love. And this one who has this power is, of course, the God of Psalm 33, Yahweh, Israel's Lord. Uh, And this psalm kind of puts us up close and personal with these two realities, absolute power and unfailing love. Uh, We'll spend some time looking at both of these. Uh, and really, you know, if you've heard the kids talk, I felt like I can just sit down and go home because Jane was spot on the, <laughs> the money with what we were talking about, with what the psalm is talking about, this incredible picture of God's absolute power and his unfailing love. It made a huge difference for the original singers of this psalm and uh, my prayer is God willing that it will make a, a big difference for us as we, as we dive in. So having your Bibles open will be helpful. The words will also appear on the screen. There's also that normal outline uh, in the handout. So well, this God of Psalm 33 has absolute power. Did you notice that as you read through, and and, and Jane brought out in the kids' talk this the way in which the God of this psalm um, uh, has the incredible, powerful word. You see that in verse six to nine. Uh, so one of the it's one of the amazing things about humans, isn't it, that Imogen can come up here and in a minute create this this really cool dog. It you know from from that to uh, uh, fine arts, uh, to uh, you know, boys out the back in a sandpit or making mud pies or whatever. Uh, we love to create. We love to create things. But of course, you need you need something, don't you? You need, you need to make a mud pie. You need mud. To make a painting, you need paint. But here, as we heard before, there, here is creating something out totally out of nothing. Totally, out, it's it's kind of. Outside of our comprehension, isn't it? The thought that you could simply speak, not use any materials or tools, just to speak, to create something, just by speaking. Verse 6 to 9, a really wonderful picture of this. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host, by the breath of his mouth, he gathers the waters of the sea into jars I mean, you think about the flooding last week and (laughs) how powerful that was. And you think God just would lift down with a little jar and gather all that water up. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. It's God of incredible powerful word and it's not surprising is it then if if this is true about this god that his power isn't he kind of extends into the future if someone can create something out of nothing just by speaking this god uh, that power kind of extends through history for this god he is the god of powerful plans he plans for the future and he has the power to achieve them we all know about making plans right Sometimes our plans come off, sometimes they don't. I ever made a New Year's resolution? I was, um, was going to ask anyone to volunteer if they're still keeping their New Year's resolutions, but I won't. But I'd be seriously impressed if you made a New Year's resolution this year and in September you're still onto it. Um, that'd be great. One year, I remember when I was at uni, I kind of made a resolution. I resolved that I was going to read more Christian books. I thought, no, this, I need to do this. I need to re- read more books. So I got my pile of books... went for it and I started really well Uh, I plowed through at least 20 pages Uh, then uh, it kind of got a bit techy and hard and uh, the next book in the pile looked really interesting so I thought I'll I'll just I'll come back to that one and you know you pick the next one up Um, anyway this went on for a little while and I was reminded of it a, a few years after that when I was, I think I was moving house and looking, flicking through my books and I had all these, this whole series of books with bookmarks in them about 20 pages in. You know, all these books that, well, for many of us, uh, New Year's resolutions. You know, like, okay, dad joke time. And kids, remember this one. New Year's resolutions, they just seem to go in one year and out the other. There you go, sorry about that. But Yahweh, this God of Psalm 33 this God of Psalm 33, he actually brings about what he plans. He actually brings it about. Did you see that? Verse 10 of Psalm 33. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations this God has power over the plans of the nations. His plans stand firm. I imagine that those who lived under Caligula, right, the guy at the start, I imagine that those who lived under his terror, his tyranny, felt like it was unstoppable and it would have gone on forever. But the reality was he, he was in power only for four short years and then was a character in the history books. Uh, It's the same with any human ruler, with any human system, any great nation. They all have their use-by date, no matter how powerful they seem. No matter what legislation they bring in that seems to be so threatening, there is only one power that can make eternal plans and that has the ability to carry it and carry them through uh, friends, we'll come back to this because what the nature of those plans is, what it is that this, this one plans, that's so, so vital and critical and we'll come back to it, it makes all the difference. But there's one more really important feature of this great power, of this, this incredible, powerful one, this absolute power that's in this psalm. Um, the Lord speaks and it is, his plans stand for him forever and the third thing is he sees All things. He sees all things. You get that in verse 13 to 15. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. And friends, It's kind of a natural extension of this power, isn't it? This powerful word, the one who forms, if if he, he formed our hearts simply by speaking, he sees into the hearts of all, into your hearts, every person, everything that you do. And I wonder how you feel about that. The thought that this God, this God of Psalm 33, the God of absolute power, sees you, Sees right into you, right into your heart, knows everything about you, intimately, everything you do in public, in private, everything everything. I imagine it makes us a little bit uncomfortable, at least, doesn't it? Uh, at the very at the very least, if this is true, then it would be the most important thing in the world to know what he thought, what his judgment was on you when he looked at you. Having looked down on all humanity, on you and me, what does this one think? What does he think? What, what is he, how does he respond? And again, we're going to come back to that. But for now, this is an incredible picture, isn't it? Of absolute, uncompromising, eternal power. And if we believe the saying that we started with, that absolute power corrupts absolutely... Well, it would be a terrible, terrifying thing, wouldn't it, for anyone to have this kind of power? Uh, there's this great scene in the Lord of the Rings, uh, uh, the, the Tolkien novels. Um, it's if you if you know the story, you can sort of follow along. If not, go and read it. Uh, uh, Gandalf, the great wizard, Gandalf is talking to uh, the Hobbit Frodo about the Ring of Power that Bilbo picked up off Gollum. Okay, there's a whole lot of characters there that you know. Uh, so. And, just go with it if you haven't read this, or if you don't know the story. Uh, Gandalf, this great wizard, explains how dangerous this ring is that Frodo's got. And Frodo pleads with him. Frodo says, please, t- you know, he pleads with Gandalf to take the ring, since he's, you know, a wise and powerful wizard. But when, Gan- uh, when Frodo does this, he kind of offers the ring to Gandalf. Gandalf immediately jumps back in the story. He jumps to his feet and cries out, no, with that power, I... Uh, I should have power too great and terrible. Do not tempt me. I dare not take it, not even to keep it safe. The wish to wield it would be too great for my strength. You see, Gandalf knew that to have the power of the ring would be a terrible thing, and even if if his motives started out good, the ring would corrupt him, and he'd end up just like the Dark Lord Sauron himself. To have absolute power, friends, no one can bear that weight. Not even the great Gandalf. <laughs> no one can bear that weight without being crushed by it, without being corrupted by it. Well, in the face of all that, you know, the clear reality that absolute power corrupts absolutely, Psalm 33 makes this stunning claim. There is one who can bear the weight, one who holds absolute power without any corruption. Yahweh, the Lord, Israel's God. He's the God of infinite power and also the God of unfailing love. That's the third uh, point on your outline there. This God is the God of unfailing love. uh, He has unfailing love towards the whole earth. Uh, You see that in verse 4 and 5. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. <clears throat> you see that, uh, that verse 4 there we read? Um, the, the word of the Lord is right and true. He's faithful in all he does. The, the same word that speaks with such power, the word of the Lord, that's, that, that word is not corrupted by its power. <laughs> that word is right and true. True. Now, this powerful God doesn't change on a whim. He's not going to sit in the circus and on a whim drag the first three rows into the arena to be eaten by the lions on a whim. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love in all things. This this psalm is saying, in all things, at all times, in all places, this God of absolute power is... He's also, at the same time, utterly good. He is trustworthy. He is right. He is true. He fills up the earth with his unfailing love. That last phrase, this idea of unfailing love, again, Jane mentioned it in the kids' talk this... Um, the, the, the way in which it has this kind of incredible meaning. It's, re- it's actually a really important wo- a little phrase in the Bible. It's repeated through this psalm, <laughs> but the Bible kind of uses it as a bit of a catchphrase to talk about something much bigger. That's not, it's not just saying that God is kind and loving in a general sense. It's kind of his, his character. It is saying that. Uh, the earth is full of his unfailing love. God is loving and generous, unfailingly in general. Um, he keeps the world going and makes it a place where even those who reject him can enjoy his good gifts. He, can enjoy his, he keeps sending rain on the just and the unjust. He is incredibly loving to, to the whole earth. But this little phrase, unfailing love, it's not just a kind of general description. It, it, it taps into the great story of the whole Bible, actually, the great story of God and his world. It's a loaded catchphrase in the Old Testament and it has a specific focus, not just his love to the world, uh, but it kind of zooms in with a specific focus. You see, uh, faced with, right at the beginning, humanity's rejection of God, his rejecting of him as their good king, who they could trust, Uh, placing themselves under his judgment, God put his unfailing love into action in a really specific way. He chose a people, Israel, to be his own people. He promised to use Israel to fix up his broken world. And that was his plan that stands firm forever, the great purpose of his heart for all generations. And with that in mind, as the psalm goes on, this focus of God's unfailing love narrows in uh, do you see that sitting right in the middle of the, ver- of the psalm in verse 12? It's really kind of a bit of a focal point of the whole psalm, this verse 12. God's unfailing love fills the earth, but it is especially seen in his choosing of a people through whom he would bring his blessing to the whole earth. So verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people Chose for his inheritance. It's kind of a bit weird to think about God having an inheritance, right? How could the one of absolute power need to inherit anything? Uh, The idea in the little the word there is is kind of like a a treasured possession, uh, like great great grand's wedding ring, you know, or uh, or old Uncle Jim's war medals or something, you know, some kind of really treasured inheritance. Treasured possession. And the, the picture here is of this incredible, powerful, faithful God choosing Israel as his treasured possession, his special inheritance. Uh, his unfailing love to his people. And, and we talked earlier about God's powerful sight, right? He watches over the, all the earth and considers everything we do. And we thought before, that's going to be pretty frightening. But do you see what happens as you read on in verse 16 to 19? Uh, this psalm, this, um, still talking about God's unfailing love to his people, it narrows in again in a really beautiful way. Do you see what it says? God God sees everything. There is a special attention that he pays to his treasured possession, his inheritance. And you see that in verse 16 to 19, No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. (coughs) A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. You see, when this God of absolute power the one who sees into your hearts, when he pays special attention to you to save you and to deliver you, that's so much more wonderful and eternal and substantial than all the other things that we put our hope in, all the other things that we want to save us, our own strength, the armies of kings, the strength of warriors. They can't save, but when God looks on you as one, of your cho- uh, as one of his chosen people, his special inheritance, that is something worth trusting, something worth celebrating, it's something that would make all the difference. And it's just what the psalm actually says to us. It's just what the psalm pictures. Um, how do you kind of respond to this picture in Psalm 33 of this God of incredible power and unfailing love? Well, the psalm actually tells us how to respond. It kind of gives a response for us. It's framed right at the start and right at the end by these two little really key paragraphs. And in, those, in these two little paragraphs, you see, you see where God's unfailing love and his absolute power, where they hit home for God's people, where they hit home for the writer of the psalm. They hit home for us too, actually. Uh, we 've been saying all along, this is kind of a sum about the, the people here are the national people of Israel, um, that is a, the kind of first people that 's talking about. Uh, but the great gospel claim uh, is that this, this powerful god 's incredible eternal plan came to its head in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus fulfills everything Israel was meant to be, god 's special inheritance, his treasured possession is now focused in on Jesus. Uh, No longer one kind of national people, Israel, but Jesus and the people who are gathered in him by faith. In Jesus, God's absolute power and his unfailing love are perfectly and finally put into action. He is the perfect, eternal, all-powerful son who gave himself up to be killed in order to defeat God's great enemies sin, death, and the devil. And by faith in Jesus, we are a part of this. We have seen God's unfailing love and his absolute power. And so this psalm is just as much for us, friends, and it starts with a call to joyful praise. We saw that before, verse 1 to 3. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp, make music to him on ten-stringed lyre, sing to him a new song, play skillfully, and shout with joy, shout for joy. And it's worth asking ourselves, friends, at this point, is our singing praise to God? And I believe it is, actually, for many times. And it's a wonderful encouragement for me to be up here uh, hearing your joyful singing. But it's always worth us sort of reflecting on that, isn't it? Is our singing of praise to God as, as joyful as what's pictured here in the psalm? It's hard, uh, especially for men, especially for Aussie men. I think we find this hard uh, in general and uh, numbers, numbers of us do. But do you notice what it says? It doesn't say, sing joyfully to the Lord, you musical people. Uh, Sing joyfully to the Lord. Um, Maybe when you when you feel like it, don't you? This is a a wonderful invitation. It is fitting for you to praise Him all the time, and especially when you're gathered with His people. Sing joyfully to the Lord. Um, You've got to be careful. Okay, I understand that you can't kind of force this sort of thing. I went to. Um, a boarding school over in Sydney. Uh, it was a church school, so we had chapel a couple of times a week, uh, and the singing there was pretty dismal. Let me tell you, okay, it was a- absolutely dismal. I remember one time a teacher getting frustrated at all all the boys, and beforehand, before the service, he said, "Boys, sing up, okay, sing up, boys." And of course, the only effect was that it had a um, uh, it had was. To get a couple of jokers in the middle, up uh, the back actually, to sing loudly and off key on purpose, right? So you, you have, there's not much genuine praise going on there. <laughs> uh, joyful praise can't be forced, it flows out of knowing this God, knowing Him as your God, as the God who chose you to be His inheritance, His treasured possession in Christ. In him our hearts rejoice. And friends, if we find our own hearts are cold, which happens, doesn't it? Uh, If our praise is just formal or indifferent, uh, we don't need to be told to sing up, boys. That's not kind of the way forward. We need our hearts warmed by the unfailing love of this powerful God for his world and even for you. That's what will give you a new song, a renewed sense of wonder at God's love and grace to sinners like you. What it looks like is, of course, different for different personalities, different cultures, different church backgrounds. I get it. But what it looks like on the outside isn't nearly so important as what's going on in your heart, what's going on inside. Joyful praise um, is really where this psalm... uh, kind of leads, it starts off with as the natural outworking of these two realities, absolute power and unfailing love. But right at the end of the psalm, where we're kind of going kind to of draw things together, right down at the end of the psalm in verse 20 to 22, it's not only joyful praise, it's this, it ends with this call to patient trust. Verse 20, we, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield in him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. This, this, the psalm pictures this patient trust, and that's really hard for us, I think, in our culture particularly, this idea of patient trust, uh, uh, we, you know patience is not really a virtue that we hold dearly today there's and uh, uh, you, well, many of us won't know this but there's this kind of um, if you're on social media you'll know there's these kind of acronyms that get thrown around so one of them is called a FOMO someone might say something you need to say FOMO which is who knows what FOMO is uh, fear of missing out OK, so you say, oh, you know, someone might put something on Facebook. Oh, I've got FOMO today, so i better go and do something interesting. I'm f- a fear of missing out. The other one, uh, YOLO. Uh, OK, it, YOLO means you only live once. So you just say, oh, YOLO, you know, you only live once. I, I fear missing out, so I need to kind of... Now, this is a real thing, FOMO, and um, it's actually, uh, 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 actually a really um, debilitating thing for many people this whole idea of fear of missing out. You, you kind of have this fear that you're missing out. One study that was published late last year found that one in two teenagers feels they are missing out on, some, on the seemingly perfect lives that others portray through social media, and it's leading to increased levels of stress and depression. So it's a real thing, right, this, this whole... It, the idea of patience, yeah, it's just kind of not part of our culture. Uh, but neither is trust, right? No, there is trust. Uh, if there's one a- attitude we take to authority and power, particularly you know Aussies who love to knock down a tall poppy, it's suspicion, not trust. We have a long history of thinkers who have encouraged us to see any power over someone else as essentially a threat, uh, to see all authority as basically a kind of power play that's trying to exploit you. Uh, there was an influential philosopher. So if, if you want some, some good bedtime reading, a guy called Nietzsche. Uh, he went so far as to call for this whole thing to be embraced. Life is all about actually exploitation, the strong exercising power over the weak. So get on with it, you know. Um, so in this climate, in this climate, we can find it almost impossible to trust. It's much safer, we think, to trust our own strength our self-reliance. But even those in the end will leave us empty. The king's army, the warrior's strength cannot save. They can't save you ultimately. So many of us are left unable to trust others and in the end unable to even trust ourselves. But brothers and sisters, the startling news of Psalm 33 is that in a world where power corrupts, and it can't save, there is one with absolute power who remains totally uncorrupted, who always exercises his power in unfailing love, unfailing love to bring about his plan of salvation. There is one who at last you can lean on entirely, completely rest in, entrust your whole life to. There is no fear of missing out with this one you don't have to wait you don't have to have the the kind of frenetic anxiety of feeling like you need to get it all in now you can wait in hope for him because you know that since Jesus has defeated death you're not only going to live once YOLO come on we will live again we will sing a new song in the new creation that our absolutely powerful, unfailingly loving God is bringing in. So friends, these two realities of God's power and his love rightly lead his people to joyful praise and patient trust. I'm just going to finish by reading these two paragraphs again from verse 1 to 3 and then down the ends. Uh, this is a good kind of way for us to reflect, I think, and uh, to encourage each other with God's word here. So, brothers and sisters, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to Him on the ten string lyre. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Amen.